You're listening to TIP. On today's show, we continue to revisit some of my favorite podcasts from the past in this Millennial Investing Rewind. If you've missed our previous Rewind episodes, we've started to reshare some older episodes that are my favorites for a few reasons. One, we get a bunch of new listeners each week, so the new listeners may not have heard this episode before. Two, even if you've been listening for a while, you may have missed this episode when it originally came out. Or three, even if you've heard it before, it can be a great episode to learn from again. If you've already heard this episode or you're not interested in hearing it, feel free to just skip it. There's no harm in that, and you can pick up with our new episodes next week. All right, guys, that's all I had for you for this new intro. Everything going forward is going to be from the original show. Hope you guys enjoy it. On today's show, I chat with Jason Harris about what it means to be an influencer, the four principles for being a master influencer. And when I say influencer, I don't necessarily mean social media influencer. You'll see what Jason means when he talks about a quote unquote influencer. We talk about how personal character is more important than facts and arguments when it comes to persuasion, all the ways empathy plays into business, and a bunch more. Jason Harris is the co-founder and CEO of the award-winning creative advertising agency, Mechanism, co-founder of the Creative Alliance, and author of the national bestseller, The Soulful Art of Persuasion. Harris works closely with brands through a blend of creativity and performance, which is an approach they call soul plus science. Under his leadership, Mechanism was ranked by the FE Index as a top 10 most effective independent agency in the United States. Mechanism has also been named to Ad Age's Agency A list and twice to their best places to work. Harris has been named in the top 10 most influential social impact leaders, the 4A's list of 100 people who make advertising great, and most recently was named a Campaign US 40 over 40 honoree for his noteworthy contributions to the advertising and marketing industry. While this episode isn't related specifically to stock investing or personal finance, I challenge you guys to think about these concepts and how you can apply them to investing, your career, your side hustles, or your business. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. Hey everyone, welcome to the Millennial Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Leonard, and with me today, I have Jason Harris. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here, Robert. Tell us a bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Okay. I grew up as a small town boy in Fairfax County, Virginia. (laughs) And I was raised by two academics. Both my parents were teachers and they were real heavy bookworms. And I have a sister who has sort of followed the same path. And I was always a bit of a black sheep in the family. I wanted to go out and explore and experience things. And I wasn't the most, I'm an avid reader now, but at the time I wasn't. And so I sort of always felt a little different than the way the environment that I was raised in and always wanted to explore. And I got really into when I was young, I run an advertising agency called Mechanism. And I knew at a pretty young age that I wanted to do something 
in the myth-making branded world because I really love, I love music. And so for me, my passions were kind of music. And through music, I really learned the power of imagery and branding and what that means. And so I slowly, between that and watching a lot of commercials, I really, pretty young age, like 13, 14, I realized that I was either going to pursue a path in performing in music or go into the world of advertising because it felt like a business job that was semi-artistic. And so I was very fortunate because I think a lot of happiness in life is derived from what you spend a large majority of your time on and doing. And that fortunately or unfortunately happens to be your career, the career path you take. And so I always knew that that's I was going to go one of those two ways. And I was in a lot of bands when I was younger. And I realized pretty quickly that I was good, but not great. And my skills were not set up for a long-term musical career. And I switched ever since I got out of school, kind of worked my way through the advertising world. Always had an entrepreneurial sort of bug inside. And so this is my second company that I started in the advertising space and I'm about 15 years into this one. So yeah, that's a little bit of my story. I want to dive for a second into what exactly a marketing agency does, because I think that word of like marketing agency or digital marketing agencies get thrown around a lot, but I'm not sure that people listening know exactly what a marketing agency does. I know I didn't for a while. So I'd love to hear from you. What exactly is a marketing agency? What do you guys do on a day-to-day basis? So if you look at the marketing industry, there's a lot of... It's really all-encompassing. So marketing can be working at a brand like, I don't know, Nike or Ben & Jerry's or whatever brand you can think of. They're going to have a marketing department and that marketing department is responsible for the brand and all the work that they put out there. And then for the agencies that support, they get hired by brands. There's different parts of marketing. So there's PR firms that are responsible for getting those brands in the press. There's experiential firms that are responsible for what happens out in the world, whether it's a Ben & Jerry's event or concert or a Nike soccer camp. They're going to be responsible for working with the brand to bring the experiences out, out there into life. There's social media specific agencies that just worry about how the brand appears on the social platforms. There's media that will do the media buying and planning. So there's a lot of different types of companies in the space. What we do as an advertising agency is we really focus on working with the brand to create the strategy, what they're going to stand for in the world, and then the creative ideas that the brand puts out there will help develop them and produce them and then put them out. So we have we're sort of a mid-sized advertising agency. So we have a lot of the marketing components underneath us. So we have a social media specific team. We have a production team. We do media buying and planning. But really what we're known for is taking a brand and trying to create like a three-year plan of what the brand, the soul of the brand is, why the brand exists, and then how it comes to life out in the world. So creating actual ad commercials, digital content, but really creating the stuff that people see. Why does a company that has a marketing department need a marketing agency? 
Well, they don't necessarily need one. And some companies certainly do all of the things that I sort of covered in-house, so under their roof. But what happens is typically a brand, like a brand that we work on, say Peloton, they have a pretty big in-house team. There's so many functions to marketing, whether it's customer retention, it's running their profiles, it's what the interface looks like when you ride a Peloton, the actual interaction. It's how you get customers through the customer acquisition funnel. They'll usually be with a really big size brand. There'll be too much work for any one group to handle. And a brand like that might have several outside firms plus their in-house department. So they don't necessarily need outside agencies. They can do it on their own. But what an outside agency brings is the perspective of the customer and the consumer. So I always think brands need that outside perspective. They need that outside agency who isn't inner workings of a company. They're not worried about the politics or who reports to who or where the idea came from. They're really just looking at the brand as if they were a consumer using that product or service. So they have an outside perspective that's very valuable for brands because as you know, if you're working somewhere, you get really caught up in the inner workings and you're sort of in a bubble and you need that outside perspective for some fresh thinking. Yeah, it's interesting because I've always wondered why big companies do that in higher marketing agencies. Peloton's a great example. I've seen Coca-Cola does it. So I've always kind of just wondered, like these are some of the like massive companies. I just never understood why it was needed, but everything you just explained is great. Yeah, and it's a lot of companies don't. They don't always need it, but find it incredibly valuable. When I look at my own agency, we hired an outside firm to build our website, for example. And the reason why is they'll interview stakeholders that might have different opinions and they'll sort of take that feedback and then propose ideas. And then we can evaluate those ideas instead of us just building it in-house with our team. And so even as an advertising agency that has those capabilities, we still use other firms to do some of our work. One of the things you're personally passionate about teaching people is how to be a master influencer. In today's day and age, when people hear the word influencer, they think of social media influencers. What do you mean when you say influencer? So the way I use it, master influencer, is somebody who is persuasive and influential in their sphere, whether that's their work sphere, their personal sphere, but in their little life ecosystem, someone that holds a lot of weight and can influence people. So I'm using it in the classical sense, not the creator sense of the word. You also have four principles for being a master influencer. Tell us what each of those are and then break them down for us. So the book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion, is really made up of four principles and 11 habits. And the habits can be worked on and learned. Habits really are learned behaviors. They're something that you practice enough over time and something you believe in that they become part of who you are. They become part of your sort of subconsciousness, but that takes work and practice. And those habits are built on four principles that I believe in 
both for business success and for personal growth. And principle number one is to break them down like at the base level is original. And that's really the idea of being yourself because everyone else is already taken. It's about putting your true self out there and showing the world who you are and every place that you show up or that you appear, you bring that authentic self. It's really about knowing yourself and being a true original. Principle two is generous. And that's really kind of creating and cultivating a sense of gratitude and recognizing that every interaction you have with someone can result in something great. And it's about giving things away freely, whether it's your time, your money, your connections, your resources, but it's about giving things away at every interaction, which makes things come back to you with compound interest by sort of having that, that belief. Uh, the third is empathetic, which is pretty obvious, but it's about understanding, developing a natural curiosity for other people and really learning from other people and trying to understand the other person on a more deeper level. And then soulfulness is this idea of becoming inspirational and striving to be inspirational by finding something you believe in and giving back to make the world a better place. And that makes you an inspirational person because you have this other element to you that isn't just about your happiness or your wealth or your power or your sphere of influence. And so putting those together, it's really about being yourself, becoming a generous person, understanding other people, and then trying to be an inspiration by doing something greater than yourself. Those are four principles that I personally live by. That's what the book is based on. And I think it leads to more influence and it leads to success in business and in your personal world. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, Explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. 
Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. All right, back to the show. You also say that persuasion isn't about facts and arguments, rather that it's all about personal character. What do you mean by this? And why can't you just convince someone with a fact-based argument? It's a great question. I think often people respond not just to the information, but they respond to the person who's providing that information. It's about personal character. And I think what persuades people, the substance of what's being said is important, but the person saying it is even more important. So when you exhibit these behaviors, you build trust with other people, you become more influential, therefore you become more persuasive. And I think you've seen this, of course, in your own world, when somebody might ask you for a favor or something that you need, based on all your experiences or interactions with that person, you understand that, okay, I'm going to do this for this person, or I'm going to agree with this person because I know who they are and I trust their personal character. On the flip side, someone who has exhibited behaviors that aren't necessarily positive or productive, whatever their facts are, you're not going to buy it and you're going to not say yes. It's funny you mention it's not just about what we say, because I remember growing up, my dad used to say that to me all the time. He said, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And I probably was told that a million times as a kid. It's not what you said, it's how you said it. I didn't think my dad realized that he was talking about this psychological concept of what you just explained. Did that sink in with you? Yeah. I mean, it's impacted me ever since I was a kid to today. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Your dad knew what he was talking about. I don't think he realized he knew, but he did. It's that famous idea of people don't remember what you said. They remember how you make them feel. And that's a big part of it. And you make them feel that way by exhibiting these characteristics. We talked about empathy as one of, or being empathetic as one of your four principles. But empathy, empathy is a word that I think has been more popularized by Gary Vee lately, at least it seems. But when he first started talking about it, I personally thought I knew what he meant. And it ended up that I really actually didn't have the right definition in my head. And I also really didn't understand how it related to business. If you can, talk to us about the ways that empathy plays a role in business and persuasion. Sure. Let me ask you a question. What was your sort of preconceived idea of empathy? I honestly don't quite remember exactly what it was. I do remember listening to his podcast one day and kind of a light bulb went off and I was just like, wow, I was thinking about this wrong this whole time. This is actually what he means versus what I was thinking at the time. Yeah. So empathy really is about, I mean, at a base level, it's putting yourself in the other person's shoes, right? That's like, you've heard that before. But at the base level, that's trying to understand 
someone else's viewpoint and being able to put yourself and see the world through their eyes so that you have a better understanding of them. It's not agreeing with someone or just trying to help someone out or, or anything like that. It's really learning and putting yourself in someone else's sort of shoes and it develops a better understanding of the motivations behind that person, which allows you to make a deeper connection. Then just say digging into your views and feeling like you're, it's an us versus them mentality. And there's three ways that I talk about being more empathetic. And the first is to try to make it about the other person and really learning more about them than judging them and really going from small talk into real conversations about who they are and understanding the other person. The second is seeking out collaborations. So really joining forces with other people, both in your personal life and in your work life, but trying to understand how to work together and collaborate with people from a diverse set of backgrounds and different areas of expertise or different beliefs. The third is seeing the world through commonalities and not differences and trying to find the common ground and where you cross and where you share things and really approaching each person that you encounter as an equal. It's really seeing everyone, no matter where they sit on the financial spectrum or where they sit in the worldview, but approaching everyone with the same sort of lens and making everyone unequal. And the thing that I always fall back on is this idea that humans all have 99.9% of the same DNA. So if you think of how similar we all are in every part of the world, there's that 0.1% that makes us all unique and different. Obviously, we all develop differently. But that shows you that the human condition is a shared one, and we all are way more alike than we are different, even though the world and the media tries to point out all of our differences, which of course there are differences, but at the heart of it as humans, we're all incredibly similar. When we were walking through your four principles, you mentioned that you also have 11 habits, and I want to walk through those and talk about how those 11 habits will help people become authentically persuasive. We can take them one by one and talk through them, but let's work our way down the list of all 11 of your habits. All right, let's do the deep dive. All right, go ahead, kick it off. All right, so the first idea is to be yourself. And the way you work on being yourself is really by understanding, you know, having a journal and understanding your value system and what your set of beliefs are and putting those down. And I think we all kind of have a sense of it, but we never really write those down. And when you do that, it forces you to coherently express what your belief system is. So having a belief system sort of, number one, looking at role models in your life, whether they're local role models, family role models, or famous role models, and understanding why you feel like they're role models, what appeals to you about them, and understanding how that makes up who you are and your uniqueness and your characteristics, understanding the music you like, the books you love, the movies you like, and why, and what represents you in those things that you 
are drawn to. And so it's really at base understanding who you are. And once you understand who you are, you have the opportunity to be yourself because you're not trying to figure out who you are. You really have that core value system of who you are. That's one. The second is really learning to be a great storyteller. And I think when you want to be influential or persuasive and you want to make a point of view to an audience or to someone in your sphere or at work, you need to be able to connect with them emotionally and with something that's sticky, something that's memorable. So understanding how to tell stories are really important. And those can be familiar stories that everybody knows. Those can be unique stories that have happened to you in your life. Or those could be famous stories pulled from pop culture entertainment. But having a collection of stories to make your point at any given time, that's really important. The second, or the third one rather, is this idea of letting go of short-term transactional thinking, but trying to build relationships by being yourself and not putting pressure on relationships because you need something out of them, but playing the long game and focusing on building your network, building long-term relationships over time. And so this idea of never be closing, as we hear always be closing all the time, it's switching your brain to be thinking that you're never closing, no deal that goes sideways is ever over because you've developed a relationship with that client or that person. And so it's always thinking about long-term. Don't let relationships drop to zero. You're always expanding your network and you're always keeping in touch with people. That will benefit you in numerous ways throughout your career. And so that's sort of the basis of being original and, and being yourself. The next one's generous. There's three here that I'd like to follow. Number one is trying to give something away at every interaction. Whenever you cross paths with someone, trying to leave them a little bit better off than they were before they met up with you and encountered you. And that could be giving away advice, time, can even be a gift. But I always think about when I'm interacting with people, what value can I give this other person? And I know that when I do that, will come back to me and you're trying to not do it because you want something out of it. But you know that in the universe, by being generous in spirit and giving things away, you will be more successful over time. And it's sort of that personal character that we talked about in your dad's expression of it's how you say it, it's what you do, it's how you make people feel. And that's a good way to build a lot of goodwill. The second under generous is practicing positivity. So cultivating your idea of the good things in life and gratitude and recognizing that every interaction can result in a new connection or something great down the road, but it's having this optimistic spirit, which you can habitually train yourself to be a positive person, believe it or not. The third is showing respect. There was this Harvard study on, they surveyed like 10,000 workers and they asked the most important thing for them in their quality of life on the job. And it wasn't money or being promoted or having a fancy title. It was that they were respected. And when you show other people respect and by being as present as you can, admitting when you make a mistake, being sincere, you're showing respect and you're taking other people 
seriously. And that is another way of, of being a generous person, which is showing respect to other people. So, and in the book, I cover all these habits, and then there's certain ways you can work on these habits. A lot of it has to do with journaling and, and other things like that. The third, I'll keep rolling here, uh, but the third is empathetic. And those three things are making it about the other person. We talked a, a bit about this, but having this natural curiosity about others, seeking out collaborations, and looking at the commonalities we all share. The fourth principle is this idea of being an inspiration and being soulful. And there's the idea of striving to do something more by really giving back and trying to make the world a better place. And these can be really hard things to do, or they can be really light lifts. But, you know, typically you want to think about skills you have, because we all have skills. Mine happens to be marketing and advertising with whatever 10,000 hour rule. You've kind of mastered that. So it might be a skill like that. I know how to play, you know, musical instruments from my background. So it could be whatever skill you might have. You might have three to five skills that you feel like you're really strong in. Think about that and then think about something in the world that you want to fix or that you care about, what cause you might care about, or in your local community. And you try to marry your skills with something you believe in and then figure out a way to put that into the world. And by doing that, you become a soulful persuader and an inspiration and people really admire that and really what you get, it's like boomerang giving. You're giving it to the world, but what you get for your soul is even greater. So that's sort of the idea of these principles and what to do out into the world. How does the law of attraction play into all of these different principles and habits that you just talked about? That's a great connection to make. But I think the clearly being inspirational and being positive and knowing who you are plays deeply into that idea of the law of attraction, right? How would you describe the law of attraction? I guess the most simple way that I define it for myself is putting something out into the universe and it basically more or less you putting something into the universe is your way of telling the universe that you want something. And that's the simplest way that I think about it. I think that's right. I think it's what you can imagine you can achieve, right? And it's very similar to the first idea of writing down your values. It's understanding what you want and then being able to be clear about it. So you consciously and subconsciously take action on the plan that you have. You know, the thing that you want, you end up going after it because you're putting it out there. And I think these principles really help you do that because when you understand yourself, and you're always your full self, you're, you're going to understand what you want. And then by being persuasive and influential, you're going to get there faster. So I think it dovetails really well into whatever thing you've read about the laws of attraction. Some say there's three, some say there's seven, but I think this dovetails really nicely into that. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. 
Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found on the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport leads by example. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability and combines assertive on-road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet and redefines sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, which offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can also enjoy a dynamic drive in total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. I actually personally haven't read anything about the law of attraction yet. I've only heard people talk about it. You know, I've heard podcasts about it. Some of my favorite entrepreneurs have talked about it. There's the book Law of Attraction that I actually really want to read. I have, unfortunately, I have a super long laundry list of books that I want to read, so I haven't gotten to it yet. But yeah, it's this idea that I found really interesting. And as you continue to work through your principles and your habits, I just kept feeling like there was this undertone of law of attraction there. So I was curious to learn about that connection. It really is about putting, understanding what you want and going after it. But positivity plays a huge role in that idea of the law of attraction and the idea that positive thoughts bring positive results and negative thoughts bring negative results. And you see that with people that you know. The constant Debbie Downer is always focused on the things that aren't going right. And therefore, that begets more things that aren't going right because that's what the mind is focused on. When the mind's focused on gratitude and blessings and the things that you want to pursue, your mind and body follows what your thoughts are. And so that's where you end up going. And that's where you put your energy into. I was honored to have Dr. Robert Cialdini on the podcast. No way, dude. That's awesome. 
Yeah, it was awesome. Back on episode 91. That's amazing. What was that like? Yeah, it was great. He was awesome. Told a lot of really good stories. Walked us through his new book, Persuasion. It was really good. So I'm curious to hear from you, from your perspective, how does your version of persuasion, the soulful art of persuasion, how does it differ from Cialdini's psychology of persuasion? Well, I think his is much more focused on just that psychology. My book is really a modern update on how to win friends and influence people. It's really, the, to me, the modern, and I read a lot of those sort of quote-unquote business improvement or self-help books, that category, and I didn't find a lot that followed my set of beliefs and how I've become successful, and I wanted to put my sort of modern update on that classic because a lot of that influence genre, there's almost psychological tricks to them versus this idea of being yourself because that's what people will respond to. It's much more about mirror matching or getting someone to talk about themselves more because they love talking about themselves because their name's the most beautiful (laughs) word in the world. And so that book was written in the 20s. And I wanted to update that in 2020 to really show that influence today is a bit different and it's evolved. And so that was really my focus. And I think Robert's work is incredibly powerful, but it's much more on the psychological versus this is about business principles. It's funny you mention how to win friends and influence people because I recorded two podcasts today, this one with you. And then right before this, I had another one. And the guy that I was speaking with said that How to Win Friends and Influence People was his favorite book. No way. Yeah. But he just said he wishes that it had a different title. He said that he thinks Dale Carnegie would, if he was alive today, he would change the title to something more modern, but more or less keep the principles and everything in the book the same, but just change the title to be a little bit more fitting to today's world. And it sounds like your book kind of might have done that. I think it's done that. Yeah. There's a couple of reviews that actually made that correlation, but I have to get your previous guest a copy of my book. So when the question comes up, you can answer it. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to get into our next part of the show. I call it the action plan. And I like to ask the guests three questions or for three recommendations that can help create an action plan for listeners of the show for when they're done this episode. They can just be quick little answers, or you can go into as much depth as you want. But the first question is, what habit or principle do you follow in your life that has had a big impact on your success that not enough people do, but they should? Yeah. So I'm going to give you two, even though you asked for one. Sorry, Robert. (laughs) But because one's sort of a bigger idea and one's a direct action you can do. But for me, the biggest game changer was this idea of, this is the blueprint of my book, which is this idea of being original and being yourself and not being afraid to be vulnerable, show your personal idiosyncrasies, connect with other people by breaking down and being open and talking about who you really are. That's been the biggest game changer for me. And I used to almost have my out of work personality and my at work personality. And it's really hard to compartmentalize your life and manage that. And when you realize you need to show up as your authentic self in every situation and be open and let people in, that to me was the biggest 
game changer and sort of healthy way of living for me that has made me a much more positive, optimistic, and gracious person. So that to me isn't necessarily a tip or a skill, but it's a way of thinking and always showing up as yourself. And then I would say the other way I would answer that is I used to not be a generous person. When I started in business, I would sort of hoard my contacts or keep information to myself because I thought business was this cutthroat game. And the biggest change for me in that aspect was this idea of generosity, which was the hardest skill for me to learn. It was the habit that I had to practice the most. And once I had this open, share my network, connect people with other people, put it out there, realize that we're all after the same things and giving things away, that kind of turbocharged my business because people were more apt to respond to me and return the favor and come to me. And I became a much more persuasive person. So that's sort of the two to me that are the most important. Was there a turning point for you when you realized you had to be more generous? And the reason I asked that is because I felt the same way when I first got into business. And I'm still super young, but when I first started, I was the exact same way as you. Very close-knit, closed off, but now I've become a lot more generous. And for me, that turning point was learning of this idea of being abundant or having an abundance mindset. And that was the turning point for me. For me, it was when I started my first business, just to sort of prove how deep I was in the other direction. I started the business. Now I have three partners. We co-founded a company together. We work together. We collaborate. I started my last business primarily by myself. I had a friend that I worked with also in Atlanta, but it was primarily on my shoulders. And I did every aspect of the business. And that was me trying to make it on my own and not really be generous of spirit and share and welcome people in. And after about 18 months, I fried myself. I was burned. I was broken. I was unhappy. And that to me was a point in time when I knew I had to change the way I thought and the way I worked. And that was the incident that really sparked me to be like, hey, I don't think I'm doing this right. And I'm going to do it in a different way. What has been the most influential book in your life? It doesn't necessarily have to be your favorite. I like people to distinguish the difference between favorite and most influential because they're not always the same. So what has had the most impact on you? There's just so many, but I come back to, I love Hemingway. And I don't know if you've read any Hemingway, but I lived in Spain for a bit and I started The Sun Also Rises and I really got into his simple sort of staccato style of writing then the rhythm of how he writes. And there was, I read uh, The Old Man of the Sea, which is, I mean, I'm not into fishing <laughs> at all, really. But the way he wrote the story and the metaphor of that story about this fisherman who catches this, this big fish, this big marlin, and then the sharks kind of take it down, and then his hunt to overcome those obstacles the allegory for me in that book, and because I love his writing, was pushing through obstacles. When the going gets rough, keep going through it and get to the end and get to your goal. And that just always stuck with me. Similar like how your dad said something on repeat. That book like stuck in my cranium. And I always think about it when 
things are hard or there's a challenge or there's an obstacle that you want to run from. And it makes me focus on getting through that obstacle. And the only way past it is through it. And that book has really influenced me. When this episode is over, before the listener quickly jumps to the next podcast episode queued up in their player, what is one action they should take that can really help improve their life, career, or business? I think one action that can dramatically improve your listeners' quality of life that we have talked about is find a way to do something to apply one of your skills to give back. And it could be small and it could be an hour a week. It could be massive, like starting a nonprofit. But whatever it is, find a way to apply if you're an excellent chess player giving free chess lessons to inner city kids. If you care about the homeless population, it's spending a half hour to have a conversation with a homeless person once a week. Whatever it might be, whatever thing in the world you care about, spend a little bit of your energy on it. That will make the biggest sea change in your happiness and your perspective and your success. And I didn't realize that until I was 40 years old and I had to take some of my advertising skills to do work to fight sexual assault on college campuses. And really, I was almost forced into this idea of doing social good. But that act, and when I started doing that, it really changed my entire perspective and my entire happiness in what I do and in the skills that I have. Before we give a handoff to where people can find you, I'd like to wrap up the show by turning the tables a bit and letting the guest ask me a question. So what question, Jason, do you have for me? What is the biggest breakthrough learning that you've had, Robert, by starting this podcast? Probably my ability to speak to people and really to realize that these ultra successful people are no different than me. And that has probably been my biggest revelation. And that's taken form in a couple different ways, but there's been guests that are these super high profile guys like Sharks on Shark Tank and Cialdini and Robert Kiyosaki and some of these really well-known guys. And I'm not saying this happened with any of them specifically, but kids will run into the room during a recording or their dog will jump on their lap. Or I've had some ultra successful guys that own NBA teams and stuff and they, they'll be in a sweatshirt and sweatpants. And it just really, all these different things really made me realize like, these are just normal guys. They're just normal people and they've done extraordinary things. And they're no different than me. They have all the same life challenges that I have. And if they can do it, then I can do it too. And so that's probably been the biggest thing that I've learned and take it away from, from hosting the podcast. I love that. That's awesome. You realize that we're sort of all on the same playing field, right? We have all these similarities that we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're not connected, a lot of times from the outside, it seems like they're these untouchable people. And when you get a chance to sit down and chat with them, you realize that that's not necessarily the case. And it's honestly inspiring in its own way. And, and it gives you, at least gives me a lot of motivation for what I'm building because it actually seems attainable. I love that. That's awesome. Where can the audience go, Jason, to connect with you, find you on the internet, follow you on social media? Where's the best place to connect with you? Uh, sure. I'm on all the channels at Jason underscore Harris on Twitter and Instagram. LinkedIn. And then I have a website, thesoulfulart.com, 
where you can find out more about me and more about this project. And yeah, that's it. Awesome. I'll be sure to put a link to all those different resources, your book, all kinds of different things that we talked about in the show notes below for anybody that's interested. Jason, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Robert. This was awesome. Appreciate it. All right, guys. That's all I had for this week's episode of Millennial Investing. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.